you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans? Welcome to episode 179 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke. And on today's show, we are going over what the non-tender deadline is, which A's could be non-tendered, and some of Oakland's minor league signings. So we're catching up on some of the news, keeping the show a little bit more current than naming the all-bean team, which I will get back to tomorrow. We're going to do starting pitchers on Tuesday, and then we're going to do relievers on Wednesday, and then uh, the DH is coming on Friday. So we're going to finish out the, the all-bean team this week for you guys. Uh, remember to keep voting on Twitter at Locked on A's. Lots of fun. Uh, and speaking of Twitter, follow us at Locked on A's on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So the reason that I wanted to go over the non-tender deadline today is that on Wednesday, December 2nd at 7 p.m., the next big event on the MLB calendar arrives, and that is the non-tender tender deadline and this year they're expected to be a slew of non-tenders given the financial constraints that teams face which means that there's likely going to be some legitimate talent that's going to be coming available in the next couple of days so what is the non-tender deadline in quick summation it's basically the deadline in which teams must determine whether to offer players on their 40-man roster with less than six years of service time a contract for the 2021 season so basically what that boils down to is if a player is in the major and they have not signed a free agent deal, which is, you know, guaranteed, obviously, uh, or an extension of some sort, then they're eligible to be non-tendered. Uh, it's usually for guys that are in their arbitration years that are going to be making a little bit more than the team feels comfortable with. So you might see them get non-tendered by their team and then uh, see if they can re-sign them for a lesser amount, or maybe the, the team just fills that hole somewhere else because other teams are also non-tendering guys. And because of the pandemic this year, uh, the, the non-tender rate is expected to go uh, very, very high this year. There's talks of like guys like Chris Bryant maybe getting non-tendered. He is a former MVP. Uh, Javi Baez, just because the Cubs don't really want to pay anybody. Uh, Kyle Schwarber is somebody. Uh, Gary Sanchez, because the Yankees don't know what to do with any man anymore. So uh, they're not like likely to get non-tendered, but they are on that short list of guys that could get non-tendered. So uh, it's an interesting, interesting offseason in the non-tender market for sure. And uh, that's why I wanted to go over it a little bit today. And in terms of the A's, there's a lot of guys that could potentially be non-tendered because the only guys that are really protected right here are Steven Biscotti, who signed an extension when he was with the Cardinals. He's due like $7 million this year. And uh, Chris Davis, he signed an extension with the A's. So uh, yeah, he's protected. And then Jake Diekman, those are the only three guys with guaranteed contracts right now. And then uh, everybody else could theoretically be non-tendered by the A's if they so choose. Uh, I, I don't think that... Uh, they're going to be going on a spree, but you know, there are some guys here that could potentially hit the non-tender market from the A's, and I'll get into those here in a second, but just a little bit of history. Uh, last offseason, Blake Trinan was non-tendered by the A's with the hope of bringing him back for less than he'd make in arbitration. Unfortunately, the Dodgers offered him $10 million for the 2020 season, so they signed him instead, and a couple years back, the A's non-tendered Mike Fires and then re-signed him for two years and $14 million. So you, you see both ways of it right there, where you see 
teams trying to get their guys back for less money. Sometimes they're uh, amenable to it. Sometimes they're not. So uh, that's what we're going with here. And uh, a player being non-tendered does not mean that their time with the team is necessarily over, but it does make them available to all 30 clubs where they can negotiate their next contract. I was perusing around the internet and over at Fangraphs, they did some work trying to determine which players could be non-tendered this winter based on a number of factors like how much they're due, their team's recent activity with non-tenders, spending habits, yada, 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 all that stuff. And for the A's portion, they listed Chad Pinder as a likely non-tender, Tony Kemp as a tough call, and then Sean Manaya as unlikely. And uh, personally, I don't think that Chad Pender with his estimated $2.2 million salary for next season uh, through arbitration is going to get non-tendered. I think he's a safe bet to stay with the 2021 Oakland Athletics just because of the roles that he fills. And especially after the 2020 season when Matt Chapman went down and, and Pender filled in for him nicely and then he had solid offensive performances in both rounds of the postseason, uh, it, it would just be odd for the A's to just non-tender him when they wouldn't consider trading him like just a year ago. They, they were like, no, we're not trading Chad Pender. He's important to this club. So I, I feel like he's not going to be going anywhere. But uh, maybe, maybe they know something that I don't. Uh, I'm operating more on gut feeling than sourcing. So, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe uh, Fangraphs has me on this one, but I just don't think that it would make sense to non-tender Chad Pender. I think that he'd be a valuable trade candidate. And I talked about that during the trade deadline. I thought that he could be potentially a nice guy that you could trade for some other parts, but I don't know that they're in a position to move him in any form, whether it's non-tender or trade with uh, all these holes in the, in the infield right now. So I think the Chad Pender stays because worst comes to worst. He's your starting second baseman right now, you guys. So, uh, and they're not going to want to spend money. You think they're going to want to spend like, I don't know, $8 million on Colton Wong. No, they're going to want to spend 2.2 on Chad Pender. Case closed. Chad Pender, starting second baseman. Um, but on the other end of the fan graph spectrum, there was Sean Maniah, who they listed as unlikely to be non-tendered, but they're still like, hey, maybe, we'll see. Uh, just because they're not high on Sean Maniah, and uh, the only reason that he's unlikely is because the A's don't necessarily have a starting rotation right now. They got four starters, and that includes Sean Maniah, so they already need to fill one hole. They don't want to necessarily uh, project the A's to have to fill two holes via free agency and all that stuff. So that's why he was listed as unlikely. But I went over to MLB Trade Rumors where they do their uh, arbitration estimates, which are invaluable. They're, they are great work. Uh, good job on MLB Trade Rumors. And they estimated his arbitration number somewhere between $4.2 and $6.4 million for 2021 season. And with that kind of money likely to be coming towards Shamanaya in 2021, maybe he could find himself on the wrong side of a decision this coming week. And don't get me wrong, Shamanaya is one of my favorite people on the A's, but from a performance standpoint, you could see the argument being made that hey, maybe we could go with a cheaper option or they could non-tender him and then try and sign him for less. Uh, that's another possibility. And uh, I think it kind of depends on what other teams are kind of doing, what they're gauging from the market. And, uh, you know, if they could find an on-the-field solution for Shamanaya without having to break the bank, maybe they're going to go in a different direction than Shamanaya and his maybe $6 million salary. Uh, I think that you could get somebody for like a million dollars and, you know, like a show-me contract and be like, yeah, if they do well, then it's this much. But uh, I think $6 million for Shamanaya might be too much given his 2020 season uh, where he was going like maybe four innings and then uh, then he would get exploded. 
And when I say that $6 million is too much for Chaminaya, uh, don't get me wrong. I think that players should make as much money as they freaking can because uh, they deserve it, obviously. Uh, but I'm just trying to think of, from an A's perspective, how they typically spend money. Like, are they going to offer somebody $6 million when they don't necessarily know what they're going to be getting from them? I, I don't know. Uh, like, uh, Mike Fires got $7 million average annual value. It was 6 and then 8 but, you know, he got $7 million each year over the course of a couple seasons. But they kind of know that he's like a 4 ERA kind of guy. With Shamanai, he could be a shutdown guy. He could be a 5 ERA guy. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get, which makes it a little bit harder to plan for, like, the playoffs and stuff like that. So I could see these things coming into effect when they're trying to decide whether or not to pay Shamanai $6 million. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's not worth it. He's worth $30 million a year in my head, but uh, that's just not how the A's operate. And for what it's worth, MLB Trade Rumors released their own non-tender candidates article over the weekend, and they listed zero A's players. So uh, I guess we're going to have to see who's right. I could see them non-tendering Chamanaya with it, the intention to try and sign him to a little bit less money. And uh, one guy that hasn't been mentioned here that I mentioned a few weeks ago was Mark Canna. He's also due like $6.8 million in arbitration estimate. And uh, could the A's just go, hey, Seth Brown, you're getting left field now. Have fun. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It, it depends on if they can move like uh, Piscotti's money or something like that, because opening up that much money would like roughly six million dollars for the payroll. That could help the A's be better contenders if uh, depending on what they feel the drop off would be from Canada, Seth Brown or whoever they got to fill left field. So uh, it's going to be an interesting non-tender deadline, I would say. And a couple other things from the Fangraphs article that I saw, they listed Vince Velasquez of the Phillies as a non-tender candidate, though they list him as a tough call. And uh, I think that if he does get non-tendered, he could just be a nice change of scenery pitcher that the A's could go after. They have a knack for quote-unquote fixing guys. And Velasquez has had good strikeout numbers with okay walk rates and meh ERAs. But uh, just putting him in the Coliseum would definitely lower his ERA, put him with a nice defense that the A's got. There you go. He has a 472 career ERA, doesn't inspire time of confidence right there. But if the A's went out and signed him, that alone would have me believing in a turnaround just because of the track record that the A's have with their coaching staff and turning around pitchers. So if they went after somebody like Vince Velasquez or any of these non-tender guys, I would be like, hey, that guy's going to have a good year because the A's have seen something either statistically or in video or they feel like they could tinker with him a little bit. And I uh, I like that stuff. Uh, some other names that were intriguing from the Fangraphs article are Jose Urania of the Marlins, who is a likely non-tender. Trevor Williams, who already hit free agency. He would be a nice reclamation project with his success in the not-too-distant past. And if the Rockies decided to non-tender John Gray, I think that teams would be lining up to sign him to see what he could do outside of Coors. And uh, could these guys be had for less than $6 million? Probably. Uh, over at MLB Trade Rumors, Velasquez is getting a ceiling estimate of $4.8 million. Urania is at $4.2 million. Williams is at four point six, And Gray is a little bit higher at six and a half. but maybe he'd sign for a little bit less if he got to go play in Oakland. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, and honestly, if the Rockies non-tender Gray, he is at the top of my target list for the rotation. He has a career FIP of, uh, that's a fielding independent pitching. Uh, so it's like ERA, but it kind of gives you an indication on how the defense helps the pitcher. Uh, if their ERA is higher than the FIP, then they're not getting any favors from their defense. And you flip that, it's the reverse, obviously. So uh, that's how that works. Uh, his ERA has been 4.59, so he has been outperforming his ERA with his FIP, which means that his defense and likely playing in Colorado has not been helping him very much. And he has a career strikeout rate of 9.2 per nine, and he has a walk rate of 2.9 per nine. So uh, yeah, I'm... 
I'm basically on board with John Gray if he becomes available. And uh, basically, this is how non-tenders work. There are some big names that I mentioned earlier, like Kyle Schwarber, Gary Sanchez, uh, Chris Bryant. But I doubt that they'd end up in Oakland, so I didn't talk about them very much. And I just stuck with the rotation. So uh, that's uh, that's all that. If you guys have any questions about non-tenders, please feel free to reach out to us either at LockedOnA's on Twitter or LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. I'll, uh, I'll answer any questions that you guys have as long as I have answers for you. And then coming up a little bit later this week, I'm going to be talking about the guys that did get non-tenders for Thursday show because the deadline is on a Wednesday so I'll record Wednesday night have it ready for you guys on Thursday so make sure to tune into that one but coming up on this episode I'm going to be talking about some of the A's minor league signings and one of them has me a little bit excited so stay locked in with Locked on A's and I'll be right back Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. Uh, tell a friend, do all that fun stuff. Follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm at by Jason B, just in case. And uh, you can reach out to us at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Send us any questions that you guys have. And as for the rest of this week, we're going over the all-bean team on Tuesday and Wednesday. we got starting pitchers and relief pitchers coming up on those two days. And then on Thursday, we're going over the people that were non-tendered. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, get some excitement. Maybe, hey, maybe they should go after this guy. Uh, I like doing that. That's that's my sweet spot in, in uh, baseball coverage. And then on Friday, we're going over the DH from the All Bean team. Uh, and if you've missed any of the All Bean team episodes, it's basically uh, the best players at each position during the time that Billy Bean has been the general manager of the A's. So since 1998, who have been the best players? Uh, we've done all of the other positions, except for the three that I just mentioned. So go back, listen to those, have some fun, enjoy the nostalgia, all that good stuff. But uh, getting back into today's episode, while the Major League Baseball offseason has been pretty slow moving for basically any team outside of Toronto and Atlanta, with their minor, minor signings. Uh, There have been some minor moves made. The A's have signed a few guys to minor league contracts with invites to spring training, and one of those guys is a former Yankees top prospect that could really blossom with the A's, and that player is 27-year-old Domingo Acevedo. He is a 6'7", 250-pound righty. He throws 98 miles an hour with his heater, and Fangraphs is currently projecting him as a reliever in the future with his heater and changeup being his main two pitches, but the main question with him is going to be, can he stay healthy? So we got another one of those. That's a lot of fun, but uh, he's got the talent, just like like A.J. Puck. He's got the talent. It's just a matter of staying healthy. And in looking over some of his stats, uh, one other question that I came up with is just, can he adjust to the higher levels of the minors? He doesn't have a huge sample size in AAA, but in both stints, his uh, whip or walks and hits divided by an inning pitched uh, went from roughly 1, which is great, to 1.4, which is not so great. And uh, his walk rate spiked in his first taste of AAA, going from uh, 1.9 walks per 9 to 5.8, which is ridiculous ridiculously high. So we went from really good control to none. And uh, he, he made it back to AAA and it held steady the second time around. So maybe it was just jitters the first time at AAA. But the other thing that uh, caught my eye from his AAA numbers was that they were just tagging him for more hits in AAA. He was giving up 9.6 hits per nine over 29 AAA innings, which is just not sustainable. But I mean, obviously it is hard to draw big conclusions from such a small sample size. But uh, those are really the only issues that I see in looking at the stat line, I haven't seen him pitch live, so uh, we'll have to see what the other, the, what the experts say on this one when uh, when when they get around to Domingo Acevedo. Uh, just looking at him, 
it looks like an intriguing signing to me, I think. He's a big guy that throws hard. He has been a top prospect in the past, and he is the kind of signing that we could see pay dividends in Oakland next year, especially with so many roster spots currently unaccounted for. It's something to look forward to in what has been a very slow offseason for the A's so far. Going to the other side of the coin, though, this guy has major league experience, but I'm not excited about it, and that's Pete Cosma. Pete Cosma is 32 years old, and he has appeared in 341 games in the big leagues, primarily at shortstop, but he's also seen some time at second and third base. Uh, when the A's inked him a couple weeks ago, I mentioned him briefly before one of my All Bean Team episodes, and I said that he's likely this winter's version of Ryan Goins, who the A's signed last offseason. And uh, if you don't remember Ryan Goins with the A's, that's probably because he never got called up. He was there purely for depth. Maybe, uh, you know, to coach some of the younger guys. Maybe that's what they're doing with some of these uh, middle infield random guys that they're signing. And I'm okay with all of that. As long as they're not the primary option, I'm okay. But I will amend what I said from a couple of weeks ago, just slightly, just slightly. And that is because there are no clear starters at either short or second base for the A's at the moment. And Chapman missed time at third last season. So the pathway to playing time is a little bit more clear if an injury occurs. So maybe we could see Pete Cosma, but I don't think that it's the first line of defense. I think that it's after a couple of guys go down or uh, depth is really being stretched. So that's how I see it going down. But uh, hopefully we don't see Pete Cosma. Hopefully he's just there to, you know, bring up the young guys and, you know, teach them the Cardinal way or whatever. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that he's that high on the depth chart, mainly because he's a very heavily defense first uh, middle infielder. Uh, He's been good on defense. Bat hasn't been great. In the two seasons that he saw somewhat regular playing time, getting into 143 games with the Cardinals in 2013 and then 76 in 2015, Cosma hit 217 and 152. So I don't think that they're bringing him in for the bat at all. But that's enough Pete Cosma talk. Let's talk about some of the other guys that the A's have signed to minor league deals with invites to spring training, and they include righties Trey Supak, Christian Alvarado, Montana Durapo. I think that's how you say that. Durapo? Durapo. Durapo. I think that Durapo. You say it quicker. Uh, Montana Durapo. Argina Zangulo, and then Matt Blackham. So I ended with a nice and easy one. Uh, they also added first baseman Matt Schwindel which I hope that I'm saying that right, and third baseman Jacob Wilson. The thing with most of these guys is they don't have the, they haven't been in the majors, so they don't have the pronunciation key on baseball reference, so I'm I'm winging it, really, and uh, obviously not great at it. So anyways, let's move on. Uh, Trey Supak, he is a 24-year-old starter that has been with the Brewers. He has great control, finishing with three walks per nine or below the last four seasons, and his whip has been solid. His strikeout rate has been between seven and nine per nine over the last few years, and I'm interested to see what he does. Uh, nice signing by the A's. Good job. Trey Supak, keep an eye out for him. He's only 24, too, so that's that's a good time. Uh, Christian Alvarado, he's a 26-year-old Venezuelan righty that has been with the Orioles since 2012. It looks as though he turned a corner in 2019 after converting to the bullpen in A Bowie after a couple of rough seasons into low minors as a starter. Since the move to the pen, Alvarado said that he'd been more aggressive with his fastball and brought back his curveball. I think that he's a bit of a work in progress, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the big leagues during the second half of next season. Uh, we'll see what happens with that one. I am intrigued by Christian Alvarado as well. I'm intrigued by a lot of these guys. This is how you get me. Uh, I, I go in their little rabbit holes. I'm like, ooh, this guy's interesting. Ooh, what are they doing? And you got to wait around until spring training. So uh, yeah, I get very excited about them and then I forget about them by the time the season starts. Anyways, Montana Durapo. 
He is not a hard thrower. He averages 92 with his fastball, but his heater and curveball rank very highly in spin rates, which means movement. Uh, he was in like, I think, 96th and 98th percentile on both those pitches. So uh, intrigued to see what kind of movement he gets on those. Uh, moving on, we got Arginas Angulo. He is a wild card. He is 26, hails from Venezuela, and he can rack up strikeouts, but he has also had some control issues. His minor league numbers... Uh, for his career, including an 11.6 K per nine rate and a 4.8 walks per nine rate. But if the A's can do some of their, you know, pitcher whispering or whatever the hell they do to guys that turn them around, he could be somebody to keep an eye on, assuming that there is minor league baseball. Uh, moving on, we're just quick hitting all these guys. we got first baseman Frank Schwindel. I'm going to keep saying it like that because I like it. Uh, he has had a brief cup of coffee in the majors, getting 15 plate appearances with the Royals at the beginning of the 2019 season. He tallied one hit in those 15 plate appearances, but in the minors, he'd been flirting with a 300 batting average with a little bit of pop. And the question for Schwindel is, can he pick up right or left field? Because we got Matt Olson at first, so I don't think that we, he's going to be getting much playing time there. So can he pick up an outfield spot? We'll see. And finally, there's third baseman Jacob Wilson. He had a good season with Fresno in 2019, batting 310 with 15 homers and an on-base percentage of 404 in 55 games. But he was also a 28-year-old in the minors, playing in the hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League, so I don't know what to do with those stats whatsoever. My initial take is that he plays a little bit of everywhere, so that's a nice insurance plan to have, I guess. Uh, I think he played some catcher, so that's cool. But I, I don't think that he's going to be catching either. So uh, depth option. Sure, that'll be fun. So that's what the A's have been up to since the winter began. But my feeling is that once the non-tender deadline passes, we'll start to see a little bit more action on the transaction wire since teams are going to know the complete list of free agents. I don't know if that means that the A's are going to start, you know, making a bunch of moves or anything. But uh, at the very worst, if other teams start swooping up players, that could put more pressure on the A's to start filling some of the holes that they have on their roster. So uh, we'll see. Maybe we get a, a kickoff uh, in the next few days. That'd be a lot of fun. Give us something to be happy about for Christmas coming up here. Uh, but that is it for me today, you guys. So until next time, stay indoors, celebrate good times, Oakland, keep wearing those masks, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.